Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with me, your host, Frank Fleck. In this episode, I am going to be covering the way in which I approach viewing properties from a layer of icing perspective. Now you might think, hang on Frank, you just said a bunch of words. What does that actually mean? When I teach property investing, I talk about the cake, which is the deal on the face of it in its simplest form. So for example, that might be buying a two up, two down terrace property, let's say N terrace property, and letting it as a single AST. So letting it to a family on a regular tenancy agreement. So that would be a cake. And if you can buy that at a good enough price where it gives you a big enough return on your investment, then you're laughing. That's a deal in and of itself. Layers of icing are anything you can do with the deal to make it better. So that might be putting in, let's say, a 10 grand refurb and maybe a 20 grand deposit and then refinancing in nine months time to get all your money back out that might be the cake but an even better deal might be where you and this might be a layer of icing where you get a finance investor to put the money in to buy it a finance investor to do the refurb so it's none of your own money and you refinance it paying off the finance investor and the purchase price and the refurb in nine months time that would be a layer of icing because now you've not had to put any of your own money into it and the way i measure a deal is to consider whether i can do the same deal again tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after that so if i can do an infinite number of these deals then it's a really good deal because it's clearly not using any of my own money i'm structuring them in a really efficient manner so that would be a layer of icing another layer of icing might be going up into the loft so planning to permission to go up a story or indeed down a story so going down into the basement and creating an additional story that might be a layer of icing on the deal a layer of icing on the cake Also, you might go sideways or backwards, and I'll talk about that. You could extend to the rear, you could extend sideways. That might be a layer of icing. Another layer of icing might be vendor finance, where you buy the property, but the vendor becomes the lender on that. Another layer of icing might be rather than doing a single AST, you lease the property to a charity or you run service accommodation on the property so there are lots and lots of variables on a deal in fact i have written them all down and there are 62 different strategies that we use on any given deal that are available for us to use on any given deal and i've also worked out and some of those are marketing strategies some of those are monetization strategies some of those are finance strategies etc etc but i've worked out that the number of possible combinations of those are twenty-five thousand, just over twenty-five thousand different combinations of doing a deal and in this episode i'm going to help you to understand my process so that you can emulate that if you so wish for 
walking into a property and coming up with A, the deal, the cake, and B, the layers of icing on that cake. Because there is, it, it really is an art form. I'm a scientist, but it really is an art form. There's no science. You can't put it into an algorithm. There's, there's no spreadsheet that will do this for you. And, and I think that's sometimes the mistake people make. So people sometimes come at this from a very data-driven perspective. And a book recommendation for you is Surrounded by Idiots. And in that book, they talk about disk profiling lots, which I'm a massive fan of. I use disk profiling massively. I talked about it a lot on this podcast. In that parlance, it is a blue perspective. So a spreadsheet data-driven perspective that most property investors take. So most property investors will sit down and go, right, what's the rent? What's the loan to value? What's the mortgage interest rate? What's the length of the deal, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the trouble. If all you're doing is critiquing the case, you're only going to have bog standard deals. You're never going to have a deal that hits it out of the ballpark. And I've, I've given examples on this podcast before, but one springs to mind now. And that is a deal where I didn't put a penny of my own money into it. I used planning gain as a strategy. I negotiated a plot of land to the side of the, uh, actually opposite the property, uh, un, unjoined actually to the property. I, I negotiated a plot of land that the vendors owned. And <laughs> here's the thing, the agents that had this property on the market didn't even know that plot of land was owned by the vendor. It wasn't included in the sale. I negotiated that for a thousand pounds extra and after getting planning permission on it sold it for ninety nine thousand pounds so that's a ninety eight thousand pound uplift yes there were some architects fees etc i probably cleared ninety four ninety five thousand pounds profit on a deal that i didn't actually put any of my own money into that is what a data-driven scientific approach and i'm all for that by the way i'm not knocking the value and importance of crunching your numbers. I spend a lot of time on spreadsheets. But if that's all you do, if you ignore the approach that I'm going to talk about in this podcast, you are going to miss out big time. You're going to miss out on the home runs. You're going to miss out on the amazing deals that present themselves, but that most people miss. The very best deals that I've done have often been on the open market, which beggars belief, doesn't it? That anyone from anywhere in the world with an internet connection could have done the deals I've done. But I'm the person that spotted them. I'm the person with my approach have negotiated, done the deal and profited from. So having had that little preamble, let me talk you through my approach. I did this last week, by the way. I viewed seven properties, a business partner. In fact, my longest standing business partner and I have decided to go our separate ways. We've been business partners for whew, about 16 years, something like that. So pretty uh, long-term um, joint venture. And we've decided, you know what, we sit down once every six months or so and have a chat about the portfolio. We Every few years, we swap over who manages it. So I managed it for about seven years and then my business partners managed it for a few years. And we've said, you know what, we're not gonna buy anything else together. Let's just divvy it up. There's not loads of properties left. They used to be about 16 and we've gradually sold them off and there's seven left. Let's uh, let's divvy up our joint venture. So he has valued them all. And then on Thursday last week, I went and valued them all myself, but at the same time was viewing them as if I was buying them. So let me talk you through my approach. And if you are viewing 
multiple properties, then there's a bit of a system to this. But I'm just going to talk as if it's a single property. I'll talk about my system uh, for multiple properties another time. When you're approaching a property, you need to be thinking to yourself in the final 400 yards, what is the psychological impression that others are going to get coming here? And I just give it a score out of 10. So what part of town is this? As you drive towards it, how do you feel? Bearing in mind, there are multiple ways of driving to most properties. So score out of 10 for that. And that dictates some of the monetization strategies that you can use. And it's an interesting one. You might think, oh, if it's got a rubbish approach or rubbish curb of peel, then you can't do service accommodation. But actually, service accommodation can sometimes be a really good solution for a property in a poor area. And I've used that successfully previously. So you need to give it a score out of 10 for the approach. You need to give it a score out of 10 for the curb appeal, as well as the condition of the property. I always look at the condition of the property exterior because outside is where the major costs are going to occur. Most people think it's inside, but it's not. You've got roof and structure that you're looking at when you're outside a property. So what condition is the roof in? How long before you're going to have to spend significant money on the roof? And B, are all of the walls straight and are all of the walls level? really really important any sign of movement is going to pose you a problem by the way movement can be a really good thing so long as the vendor is aware of it and so long as you know how to fix it or mitigate it so we are always interested in properties with problems but what you mustn't do is buy a property thinking there's no problem and then have it bite you in the buttocks later on so that's really really important so now you go into the property but when you're in the property you have to bear in mind that the outside of the property has a bearing on the layers of icing you can put on a cake and what I mean by that is when you're stood outside and you're looking at how straight the walls are are there any bowing is there any bowing how horizontal is the ridge what do the ridge tiles look like is there mortar between them is there daylight visible between them when you're looking at all of that you need to be checking is there space to the side of the property and if so how much and the crucial factor is is there at least 50% of the property's width to both sides of it now you might think why 50% well this comes down to permitted development under permitted development you can extend a property 50% of its original width to either side without planning permission and I like doing permitted development because it takes away uncertainty so it's a layer of icing I can rely on without having to ask permission. So is there space to the side? Is there space to both sides? If it's detached, there might be space to both sides. If it's attached, if it's an end terrace or a semi-detached, is there space to the one side? The second thing to look at when you're outside of the property, now this is easier said than done sometimes, is what about the rear of the property? Now you can extend backwards by up to four meters, single story, under permitted development. So again, I love that. I love being able to extend backwards. Now on a bungalow, <laughs> that is an extension. It's a, it's, a, it's a full height extension. But obviously on a house, it means you can extend the kitchen. It means perhaps you can um, extend on from the downstairs bathroom and make it a lovely kitchen diner and put the bathroom upstairs, etc., etc. So you're always thinking about what you can do for a property. So when you walk in through the property, 
through the front door. Now you want to be thinking, right, where is the staircase? If I do extend to the left or the right, how does that work in terms of a hallway? Can I put a bedroom? And, and usually you're thinking in terms of bedrooms because bedrooms are what earn you the money in, in property generally. Not always, but if you have the choice of adding an additional living room compared to adding an additional bedroom, usually the additional bedroom will make you more money. Not always, especially when we come to local housing authority rentals. Sometimes you can add a very small second room and, and add quite significant money to the rent that can be claimed from the LHA so not always but always be thinking what can I add so can I be adding a room off the hallway if I go up the stairs can I be coming to the side and going through the side of the house the gable end and adding a first floor extension now obviously if you add a first floor extension then you're going to require planning permission but remember layers of icing just sweeten the deal they're not required for the deal so what you could do for example is if the property lends itself to a first floor extension as well as a ground floor extension. What you could actually do is you could commence works immediately and put in footings that are strong enough and deep enough to sustain a two-story extension. You could even start building your extension with a view to putting the first floor on top if you get planning permission. And whilst you're doing all that, all those works, your planning permission can be ticking about ticking away and you haven't then wasted loads and loads of time i'm always looking for shortcuts like that i'm always looking for how can i do this efficiently because i know that planning permission is advertised at eight weeks but can often be 16 weeks 24 weeks sometimes even longer than that i've had planning permissions take over a year before now so can i start doing some works can i start using the property whilst I'm waiting because of course that is dead time that's time where and this is where it's really important that your cake doesn't involve loads of uncertainty doesn't involve planning permission unless you've factored it in unless you've factored in paying your mortgage or paying your finance investors whilst you apply for that planning permission but far better you buy the property you're renting it out as a single AST and making money off it perhaps a small amount of money each month whilst your planning permission is ticking by that would be far better for example so we've looked at can we extend sideways can we extend sideways on the ground floor can we extend sideways on the ground floor and the first floor and perhaps even a higher story than that you need to be aware of permitted development rights guys and you need to also be aware of any removal permitted development rights. There are some very well publicized examples of removal of permitted development rights. Probably the most famous in property circles is Article 4. Now, Article 4 is most often used to remove the permitted development rights from changing a property that is occupied uh, by a single household. So, you know, husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend and two kids etc to one that is multi that is occupied by multiple households so for example four students sharing 
They are not households. They are separate individuals, separate families, etc. So in most of the country, you can do that without asking permission. So you can take a four bedroom house with two reception rooms and rent it to five students or five working professionals or five asylum seekers, for example. So in most parts of the country, you're allowed to do that, but you're not if an Article 4 directive has been issued removing those permitted development rights. And that most often happens in university towns. Now, don't get confused by licensing. We're not talking about licensing here. We're talking about planning permission. Licensing is completely different. Licensing is black and white. You can get a license if your property is safe and conform to the standards. The standards are very easy to find and look up. And so there's no uncertainty about licensing. There is massive uncertainty about planning because it is subjective. So the other factors to look out for, and these are easy to find out online in advance, is whether the property is in a conservation area. So anywhere in the country, you can take your wooden sash windows and replace them for UPVC regular windows, unless it's in a conservation area or unless it's in a site of special scientific interest or a World Heritage Site or it is a listed building. Any of those will remove masses of permitted development rights and you can look into what they actually remove. Sometimes it can remove almost all of them. It's unbelievable. Uh, in listed buildings, for example, you often won't be allowed to repurpose rooms, move internal walls, create bathrooms, remove bathrooms, etc. Whereas under permitted development, you can do that in uh, in properties across the country. So you're in the house and you've had a look at, can you extend it sideways? Can you extend it on the first floor? ground floor. You've also looked at the rear of the property. Can you extend it to the rear? But now I'd be looking at it thinking, right, can I let this as a HMO? So do any of the rooms have en suites? Do any of the reception rooms lend themselves to being self-contained? Remember, you can let a property as a HMO, even if you give some people two rooms. So bear that in mind. I'm also thinking to myself, can I let this as serviced accommodation so would this suit a family coming to stay would this suit working professionals coming to stay depends on location largely city center or close to city center or close to large companies can be really good for work can be really good for events i have a property in derby city center really cheap property in a really rough area it has performed incredibly well as service accommodation for people coming for so three double bed properties so it's got three double bedrooms really small but we have friends come and stay f that are coming for events we have work people come and hire it companies hire it for their workers we have people coming families coming for graduations at derby university we have working professionals for the hospital so people doctors who are coming on a six-month placement to derby have all rented that in the in the past as service accommodation so they've come for one month three months one weekend etc so would this work as service accommodation we have properties on the coast which work incredibly well as holiday lets holiday lets for couples holiday lets for families holiday lets for extended families 
one of our properties has got seven bedrooms and seven bathrooms that lends itself really well to large groups coming to stay so you've looked at the different use classes in terms of hmo service accommodation you've looked at extending the property upwards down to the side to the rear and now the final thing to look at when i'm looking at a property is can we subdivide it can we subdivide it sideways and what i mean by that is drawing a horizontal line down the property so can we make this into two properties i've done that before or can we subdivide it horizontally so can we create an upstairs flat a downstairs flat etc and i've done that before and sometimes it can be remarkably cheap to do that really really cost effective and um you you can you can work out within about five minutes whether it's going to be cost effective enough to do that or whether it's going to be a waste of money to do that but you just want to be thinking okay so where would the wall go where would the two bathrooms be where would the two kitchens be by the way citing a bathroom is a lot harder than a kitchen the reason being your soil pipe you want to avoid macerators at all costs which means that your soil pipes need to join with the sewer and so you want to know where your existing soil pipe is and think to yourself where can i put a bathroom that has enough fall to get the soil pipe into that existing sewer so that's a uh, a consideration whereas a kitchen can pretty much go anywhere so long as you can get the waste but the waste for a kitchen is a lot smaller a lot easier to uh, sort because a kitchen waste can go into any drain whereas obviously soil can only go into your sewer so we've looked at the property from every conceivable angle now for adding value for adding layers of icing to the deal but what we've not done is looked at whether there's the opportunity to create a building plot and this is by hiving off a section of the plot getting planning permission on it and then selling that on as a building plot with planning permission and this is this strategy is termed planning gain and you can often get the plot of land with planning permission for basically free a pound a thousand pounds so it's pure profit and if you do it in a sensible way you can actually do it without reducing the value of the property that you're buying so the cake works on its own it makes you decent money but you get a building plot that's free in effect or or for a very very low price that you add planning permission to and then are able to sell at a very lucrative profit and that ladies and gents is how i approach every single property i go around i've not talked about commercial if you would like me to do the same description of how we review a commercial property then i will happily do that we've done this same process on commercial properties but from a residential property perspective that is an insight into the creativity that you can employ and that is required when taking on a new deal when taking on a new project and there's nothing scientific about it there's nothing that can go on a spreadsheet i do actually have a form that asks all of these questions but it's this it still requires you to sit there looking at it going right does that work does that work would that work on this deal and you can go around your own portfolio if you've got a portfolio of your own go around it and look at them and think to yourself cool could i do this with it 
could I do that with it? Oh, there's an opportunity to do that. Oh, I can build this on the side. I can, I can convert this into this property, etc. Lots and lots of opportunities there, guys. I hope you've got value from this. I hope that this has helped you to approach your transactions with a more creative mindset. And I hope it helps you to make tons and tons of money. Guys, until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.